Well, uh, good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm the uh, CVC Brunswick campus pastor, and hope our campus is planning to launch in May. So if you're in that community, I would love to talk with you. Hey, um, you know, I want to share with you a few statistics that I heard this week that were really, really disturbing and something I've been thinking about all week. Uh, the CDC reported that during the pandemic, one-third, excuse me, excuse me, one-quarter of young adults contemplated suicide during the pandemic. And the number of adults experiencing clinical depression has tripled from 8% to 24% during the pandemic. Now, that means there's a lot of people in this room, a lot of people watching online that are really struggling with some tragic, tragic things. And even just between services this, uh, this morning, I heard of took two people, one lost a father and one lost a spouse. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of difficulty we're facing, not to mention everything else going on in our society. And what's evident is that our church and this world needs a sure and solid hope. And we need a meaningful purpose. We need a sure and solid hope to base our lives in, that we can go back to over and over and again so that we can look past or through the suffering and difficulty that's something that won't let us down. And we need a purpose in life, right? So many of us during this season, our lives consist of, you know, waking up, logging on to a screen and looking at it and talking to it for eight hours. And then we log off and we go down in the living room to turn on another screen and stare at that for a few hours so that we can go to bed and then look at that little screen we keep in our pocket until we fall asleep. That is a terrible purpose to live by. I think we're all experiencing that gnaw of what is my, what is my hope and what is my purpose? Well, last week, Pastor Chad talked about the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. We're redeemed, we're chosen, we are called, we are forgiven, and we are blessed. But here's a question I think a lot of us begin to ask, especially when we think about the gospel. Is the gospel for someday or is it for today? Is the gospel merely about going to heaven when I die, or is it also about living a full life today? If you were here with us in our uh, Christmas series, Pastor Rick Duncan preached about how Jesus is the life, and he came to bring us life, and life to the fullest, that we could experience joy. And man, that convicted me. (laughs) Because I take a lot of afternoons, I get home from work, and my wife, Deborah, look at each other, And we look at our six-year-old and our four-year-old and our one-year-old, and we go, what are we going to do with these kids until they go to sleep? And it's this, 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 we don't hop home. I'm not, hello, family. Oh, my abundant life that I have today. So here's the question. Is there something uh, anemic about the gospel, or is there something anemic about my view of the gospel? Is the gospel merely for someday, 
or is it also for today? Well, that's what we're going to look at through our verses uh, from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 11 through 14. Well, let me, let's read those together. I'll pray and then we'll talk more um, uh, about the truths we see in them. All right, chapter 1, starting in verse 11 of the book of Ephesians. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who f- were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are glorious. You are kind. You are gentle, and we praise you for that this morning. Lord, as we look at this book of the Bible, how Jesus Christ is above all, how your son Jesus and his message of salvation is the essence of a meaningful life, Lord, would you use your Holy Spirit that we've been sealed with, would you use the Holy Spirit to give us fresh insight and how we can live not just for someday, but we can experience abundant life today. And Lord, lead us and guide us in how we can do that in our lives and in our church and in our community and our family so that we can reflect your goodness to the world. So help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going through the book of Ephesians in the Essential Gospel series. And the purpose of Ephesians is this, to remind believers that Jesus is above all. That Jesus is the essence for all of life. And we're going to look at verses 11 through 14 today. And Pastor Chad preached from verse 1 through verse 10. But in the original, the, the, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. In the original Greek, verse 3 through verse 14 is one long run-on sentence. All right, so if you're an English teacher in here, you would give the Apostle Paul bad marks for this long run-on sentence. But what that tells us is that there's no logical or theological difference between the spiritual blessings that Pastor Chad talked about last week and the present experience of those blessings that are available to us in Christ. So today, we're going to talk about the what, why, and how of the blessings we have in Christ. So what do we have in Christ? We have an inheritance. Why do we have an inheritance? So that we might be to the praise of his glory. And how do we know? We've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So that will be the structure of how we look at these verses this morning. So let's look again at verse 11. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. So what do we have in Jesus? We have an inheritance. 
So I think when we hear this word inheritance, we think of the inheritance maybe that you've received from a loved one who's died. Um, And when we think of inheritance, we think of cash, right? Or we think of some asset that can easily be converted into cash. So Deborah and I, we bought our first home in Parma Heights, and it was from an estate where a gentleman who originally owned the home, he passed. His family got the house, and then they were selling it to us, and we bought the home, and then they distributed the cash amongst the family. So when we think about inheritance, we think of something extrinsic to the person, some other thing, some bundle of goods, some cash, but we don't necessarily think of the person uh, themselves. So when you hear that we have obtained an inheritance through Jesus Christ, and you think of us maybe a set of experiences or a set of goods outside of Jesus and his personhood, then we do not fully understand our inheritance. You see, our inheritance is not something, it is someone. The inheritance that we have received is God himself through Jesus Christ. God has offered up his son on the cross and his death has paid for our sins. His resurrection has given us new life. And now he offers us not some experiences, not some ideas. He's offered us himself. And that is our inheritance. No experience, no provision, no health, no other relationship. Nothing is a greater inheritance than God giving himself to us in Jesus. And when we look at the gifts rather than the giver, we're actually forfeiting the power, the security, and the purpose that we receive in our inheritance. And we know that our inheritance is not something, rather some, then it's not something, rather it's someone for two reasons. First, the biblical wording. You see, when you see in verse 11, it says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. The verb obtained an inheritance, it's actually the verb to be chosen. And then the ESV decided to translate it obtained an inheritance, because in verse 14, the word inheritance comes up and it's connected to verse 11. But in reality, the Bible tells us that our inheritance is that you have been chosen to be in God's family, that through Jesus Christ, you have been offered adoption as sons, and that is the inheritance we see, and that's what Scripture tells us. You know, I think in our modern context, even though we think about an inheritance as cash, I think deep down we know, and we've even seen fathers who have worked their whole lives to build up their wealth and their career, to have assets and money to pass on when they die. When they die, they pass it on, but those children really just wanted a relationship with their dad. And actually the money that that father gives to their children, it actually begins to destroy their lives because they're trying to fill that father-shaped hole in their heart with things. And just like a father 
who keeps himself at a distance but, but gives us the things will destroy him. The opposite has happened in God, uh, who, who we know as our father. He has given us fully himself. And the gifts that we receive happen only when we fully grasp hold that we are beloved children of God. So that's the first reason that we know our inheritance is something, someone rather than something. The second reason is the historical context. So when the book of Ephesians was written, the trades and the guilds were super important. So if you're you know, a craftsman or a mason or a carpenter or a shipbuilder or whatever, and in order to, be, to enter into those guilds, the question was not, what can you do, as it is today? But the question back then is, who is your father? You see, the inheritance a father would give the son is the inheritance of his name. And that's the same with us. When we've received God's free gift of salvation, we have been given a brand new name. And all the privileges appertaining to that new name have been given to us through Jesus Christ. And that's how we know that our inheritance, it's not something, rather it's someone. Okay, all right, our inheritance is a relationship as a beloved child of God. But, but back to the original question, is the gospel merely for someday? Or is it also for today? Because many of us feel like we don't have what we need today to experience fullness of joy today. But I believe that once we understand our inheritance and we begin to apply the truth of our inheritance to our lives, that's when we experience the confident hope, the power, and the purpose in our lives. And our lives begin to change when we understand our inheritance. You see, if our hearts are not firmly rooted in being a beloved child, then our hearts will fall into one of three postures. So your heart will either be in the posture of a beloved child, or you will have an orphan heart, a slave heart, or a Pharisee heart. So an orphan heart says, I'm alone and abandoned. That means I have to take care of myself. And if I don't succeed, I'm unlovable and unworthy. That's what the orphan heart says. The slave heart says this, fear controls me. Others control me. Some moral law that I don't understand controls me. I mean, you've experienced this. You go on Facebook, and there are about 30 moral codes and moral laws that you step over some unseen law, and then your whole news feed blows up in your face. Slave heart, fear controls me. And then the third is a Pharisee heart. This is the trickiest one, and this is the most annoying one. <laughs> okay. I don't need help. I'm not a big sinner. You know, I'm always right. So question for you, when you're at your lowest, where does, where does your heart slide into? Which category? Is it the orphan heart? Is it the slave heart? Or is it the Pharisee heart? 
I'll say for me, I think for me it's the orphan heart. I feel like if I've done, I've sinned or I've done something wrong, I gotta, I, I gotta, I gotta fix it myself. I gotta go away and kind of clean myself so I can be lovable and I can be worthy. What is it for you? Well, the truth of the gospel is that through Christ, God has given us inheritance and we are now beloved children. And the antidote, the vaccine for these is reminding ourselves of our inheritance in Christ. If the orphan heart is where you slide, you have to tell yourself, because of my inheritance, God is my father. John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You have to remind yourself, because of my inheritance, God is my shepherd. Psalm 23, 1. Because of my inheritance, God is my provider. Luke 12, 27 through 28. And because of my inheritance, God is the lover of my soul. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love that the Father has given us? That we should be called children of God. And so we are. Maybe your heart slides into the slave heart. You have to remind yourself, because of my inheritance, God has given me freedom. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. No, no. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons of whom we cry, Abba, Father. Because of my inheritance, God is my rescuer. Romans 8.2 for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and the law of death. And because of my inheritance, God accepts me. Now, thirdly, it's the Pharisee heart. Now, now if you're here and you're saying, oh, okay, yeah, this, these things, this is for other people, you, you're the Pharisee heart. Right? We, we know these people. These are the people that we try to avoid with everything we have. Right? These are the people, like the, the silver lining uh, in your pandemic is that you can avoid that Pharisee person and you don't have to be around them. Right? That, the, that is the Pharisee heart. So what, what, is, what does the gospel say to a Pharisee heart? If you struggle with the Pharisee heart, you have to say, because of my inheritance... I had a great sin debt, but Christ is my redeemer. Colossians 1, 13 through 14. I am a sinner, but because of my inheritance, I am reconciled to to God. Colossians 1, 21 through 22. And because of my inheritance, though I have no righteousness of my own, Christ is my righteousness. Romans 10, 3 through 4. You know, it seems like everyone is just skirting around these days trying to find their identity, who they are, and why they are here. Because of our inheritance, we have been given a new identity. We are now beloved children of God, and we have been given a new purpose. And we see that in verse 12. 
It says in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Why? So that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. Why do we have an inheritance? So that we might be to the praise of his glory. This phrase, to the praise of his glory, it shows up three times in this really long sentence from the Apostle Paul. And Scripture says that the purpose for our life and the purpose for everything that God is doing, the purpose is, to, is that we would be to the praise of his glory. Our ultimate purpose for existence is to be a tool to show how amazing God is. The ultimate purpose for our salvation is not that we would be saved. That is an outcome of God's purpose. The ultimate purpose is of God creating humanity is that we would praise his glory. You know, during this week, um, well, every week, we have a meeting. The, some of the pastors and some of the worship leaders and some of the folks in the uh, technical art ministry, and we have a meeting for the upcoming service, and we talk about the sermon and that kind of thing. And this week, um, or last week, the um, uh, a Michael W. Smith song, Above All, came up. It was popularized in like the early 2000s. I think it was sung during President George W. Bush's inaugurational uh, prayer event. And you probably know it. I, I really like the song. It, um, and, it, and the chorus goes like this. Crucified, laid behind a stone. You know the song? Live to die, rejected and alone, like a rose, trampled on the ground. You took the fall. Can you feel in the book? And thought of me above all. Okay, that's an awesome song, except for that last line. You see, the Bible says that we are saved to the praise of his glory. That's a great song, but that last line is not true. God thought of himself above all. God thought of his glory in his majesty, and displaying his glory throughout the world above all. God's plan for salvation was so that he would be shown glorious throughout the world. But isn't that selfish and self-centered? Right, if anyone says, I think of myself above all, like they have no friends, right? Everyone avoids them. They seem to be, like, how is it that God can say that and he is not then selfish? Well, I want to read for you a quote uh, from pastor and author, theologian John Piper. 
that he directly addresses this question and he gives us some context and really summarizes succinctly why it is good news that God thought of himself above all. John Piper says this, a major question people have when they hear about God's passion for his glory is, how is God's passion for his glory not a sinful form of narcissism and megalomania? Well, the answer is that God's passion for his glory is the essence of his love to us. But narcissism and megalomania are not love. God's love for us is not mainly his making much of us, but his giving us the ability to enjoy making much of him forever. In other words, God's love for us keeps God at the center. God's love for us exalts his value and our satisfaction in it. If God's love made us central and focused on our value, it would distract us from what is most precious, namely himself. Love labors and suffers to enthrall us with what is infinitely and eternally satisfying, and that's God. Therefore, God's love labors and suffers to break our bondage to the idol of self and focus our affections on the treasure of God. See, the essence of love is to bring people to a greater and greater experience of who they were meant to be. If God would allow us to settle for being, awe, being in awe of ourselves and our own satisfaction, he would not be fully loving. God wants us to experience the best of the best, and the best of the best is God. And if our salvation was, was about anything other than the glory of God, then he would be allowing us to settle for second best. So what's our purpose? Why do we have an inheritance in Christ? It's so that we might be to the praise of his glory. Okay, well, how do we know? How do we know that we have this firm foundation? How do we know we have this power and enduring hope? Verse 14 tells us. Look at me, starting in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So God has given us the inheritance, and he's provided a way to know and experience what this inheritance is. Scripture says that we've received a down payment of our inheritance. We have received a partial payment in the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Well, in that day and age, sealing looked like one of two things. If there was an important document or an important person wrote a letter, they would fold the letter, melt wax on the seam of the parchment, they'd put, push a signet ring into the wax, and it would dry. And what it would do, it would, it would show that this contract or this letter arrived intact. It was not 
tampered with or falsified. Well, the Holy Spirit does that. In salvation, God seals us and promises that this deposit is true and it will one day fully be delivered when Christ comes again or we die. So that's one aspect of sealing. The other aspect is this. Ephesus, uh, we see archaeologists have uncovered that there was a great temple to the god Artemis. Artemis, um, what, what this, this cult of Artemis, if you are really, really faithful to Artemis, you would either get a tattoo or you would be branded a special seal that shows your full devotion to this cult of Artemis. What Scripture is saying in that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit is saying that our inheritance will not be tampered with, it will not be adjusted, it will not be changed until we receive it in full, and it's permanent. Just like you can't remove a brand that you've been branded, it is permanent, and our inheritance that we have through the Holy Spirit, the deposit, it has been sealed. It's not going away, and it is yours in Christ Jesus. You have been promised by God Almighty that one day all the frustration, all the difficulty, all the brokenness in our minds, bodies, and spirits will be removed so that we can experience love, joy, and everything God provides fully. And we can get a taste. We can get an empowerment by the Holy Spirit that is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. All right, so what do we have? We have an inheritance. Why do we have it? So that we might be to the praise of his glory. And how do we know? We've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And I tell you what, once we grab hold of these truths, it changes everything. Let, let's just talk, I mean, it, it applies to all of life, but let me just talk specifically about suffering. I think everyone's experiencing some form of suffering. And some folks in our congregation are experiencing deep, deep suffering right now. Because of our inheritance and that we have a purpose in life, and the purpose for our life is not to have a nice life, it's not to enjoy uh, retirement, it's not to enjoy health. The purposes for our life is to magnify the glory of God. That means your suffering will be used as a tool to show how amazing God is. And if you allow God to work the grit of suffering onto your heart, what will happen is that you will become a better and better glory reflector. And the love of God will shine more and more clearly on your life to others. And the result of allowing God and the grist of suffering to purify your heart, the result is you will have deeper and deeper experiences of joy. Joy. Not just gritting your teeth and bearing it. Not just enduring stuff. But you will have life to the fullest. But 
that capacity is limited by our belief and reception that our inheritance as a beloved child is unshakable and our purpose is to glorify God. I tell you what, if, if, if you ask an American in 2019, what's the purpose of life? Well, it's to enjoy life and a good family interaction and, enjoy, you know, have a... Fr- that stuff has been stripped away. But if you ask a Christian who knows Ephesians 1 and knows the essence of the gospel, what's your purpose in life? And we respond to magnify God. Our purpose has not changed. Only our circumstances. If we believe that, then I'm telling you, everything changes so that we can experience the joy that comes in following Christ. Well, I want to close our, our service, uh, our, our, my message in this way. Um, Pastor Rick Duncan, um, one thing I'm so thankful about Pastor Rick Duncan, he's, you know, he's a founding pastor and now he's still the founding pastor and he serves in various ways, but he's just never, he's never stopped growing in his relationship with the Lord. And one of the ways he does that is every week he is writing a prayer based on the passages we're teaching from out of the book of Ephesians. And so in a moment, I want to read, prayerfully read the prayer he's prepared for our church. And you can actually receive this prayer each week if you text SEEK, S-E-E-K, to our, our response number. So if you would, if you're here in the room or watching on home, uh, online at home, you could close your eyes, bow your head. And I'm going to pray this prayer based on Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. So let's pray. Oh, dear Lord God, you are so, so worthy of our praise. Father, you have a purpose and a plan for everything, including me, including everyone in the room, including everyone watching online. You are always at work to accomplish your perfect will. Lord, we have always been part of your overall purpose that you are working out in everything and in everyone. But it is your purpose that will stand. You have always known the plans that you have for us, and those plans are for welfare and not for calamity, to give us a future and hope. And Father, we know through your word that you long to lavish us with this undeserving inheritance. You have united us with Christ through faith and belief when we heard the word of truth that your son died on the cross to pay for my sins and rose for my justification. Father, you have enabled and empowered us to place our hope in Christ alone. And Father, in Christ, we have died to sin and we now live to righteousness so that we might bring praise and glory to your name. Father, you have put your stamp of ownership on us by giving us the Holy Spirit you promised to all through trust in Jesus. That Holy Spirit is a down payment from you, that first installment of what's to come, a reminder that I'll get everything else we, that you have planned for us. You gave us your Spirit so that we could praise and glorify you. Now, Father, help us this week and today not to quench or to grieve your spirit. It's not by might or by power that I seek to live this day, but by your spirit. 
Teach us to walk in the Spirit so that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Fill us with your Spirit so that we can bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Or may we be patient people. May we be kind and good. May we be faithful and gentle. And Lord, may give us self-control, Lord. And as we live this way, in submission and obedience to your indwelling Spirit, Allow us this week and this day to bring praise and glory to your name. And it is your matchless name we pray this. Amen.